it's good to put your things on things so people can see it, that what it'll look like, that will help them trigger other visual ideas. And yet to know when you need to stop working on something and just get it out there because that perfection paralysis can also hold you back because you think, oh, now I need to put it on, um, you know, 11 different products so you could see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a point where you're like, you'll never get anything done and in front of other people if you don't get going. And a lot of people are visual and will look at something and say, oh my gosh, that'd be perfect for the mugs we have or the coasters that we're doing or whatever. But that being said, anything you can do that is like extraordinary, going that extra mile because so many people don't do it. So if right. you can think of something that will take you just a little bit outside of where everybody else is clustered, then you'll stand out. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you as well as a few of my own and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. So glad you're here to listen to another episode of Windowsill Chats. I have a really cool one for you today. As a matter of fact, it was so great and we dug in so deep that we actually made it two episodes. So this week is episode one. And my lovely guest is the very wonderful Beth Buffington. Some of you might know her. She's been in our relish group for a long time. She's a great um, contributor and very positive. So we cover a lot this week and we talked so much about so many juicy things that I, as I mentioned, I want you to tune in next week to hear more. A little bit about Beth. She's a licensed illustrator, an adjunct college professor, and an online digital illustration instructor. That's a mouthful, and it's all a lot of wonderful things. Like most creatives, she has been drawing since she was old enough to hold a crayon. After graduating with a degree in art and graphic design, she began her creative career working for in-house corporate art departments, which we talk a lot about. I think it's fascinating. I've had, I've done a lot of that myself, and it's a whole different world. After years of corporate communications, she decided to focus on her personal creative passions by starting her business, BDI Celebrate Today and BDI Create Today. So she, you know, realized it was time and 
hopefully that will be inspiring to you as well. Beth's work is twofold. She creates illustrations and home decor products, and she also instructs students how to be curious about trends, about color, texture, and materials, all through the creation of digital illustrations. She is a whiz. Beth's also passionate about sharing with students her thoughts on being a healthy artist who is confident and brave about their artistic skills and their artwork, and who doesn't need a dose of that. Part of her instruction is the importance of having and maintaining a creative process. In her online course, she shares the four R's, and I'm going to let you listen and hear what those are. Beth celebrates the layers of happiness in each day, and she feels that's what makes her creative. She learned early in life that we must celebrate the little moments and remember daily to treasure the people we love. So here is episode one with Beth Buffington. So thanks so much for being here, Beth. I'm super honored. Oh, I'm excited to join you today. This is an honor for me. So yay. Yeah, likewise. I just feel like you are one of those people that I know a little bit and I've seen more frequently because you've been in our lovely relish group. But after I was reading a little bit more about you, I was like, oh, this is gonna be so fun. I really (laughs) have a lot I want to know. So you say that you have always been a creative. And so I, I do like to kind of set the stage. So how did you kind of come into doing what you do? And then we'll get into that more. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a, a lot of your interests, you know, they start bubbling up um, when you're really small. And so I have always loved to draw. And my dad used to make, he used to take that old timey computer paper and make little books and he would staple, staple them together and they were really tiny, but he would bring them to church and he always had flare pens in his pockets because oh he was had a pocket protector. He was an engineer. Yes. So he had um, like three or four different colors of flare pens. And I would spend church making up stories and and making these drawings in these little books. God forbid any of them surface because I'm sure they would be like frightening. But but I did a lot of drawings there. And while there weren't any other like artists who were drawing in my family, there's a lot of creativity there. Mm-hmm. My dad is an amazing woodworker. The cabinets you see in the background here, he he made for me. Wow. I've got this beautiful coffee table that he made and He's always just been really good at, at building things. And my mom also great sewer. She had sewed a lot of my clothes when I was little. And when I got older, she got interested in weaving. Oh, wow. So she had a loom that my dad made her. And then she got interested in, um, spinning her own thread. So dad made her a spinning wheel and she would spin her own thread. She actually had, we had a dog, um, named, um, Sherna. She was a Samoyan, had that big fluffy white fur and she would brush, um, Sherna and then she would save the fur and she would spin thread from that really pretty white fur. And then she's got quite a few hangings that we have in our house still that have Sherna hair in it. Oh my gosh. Really such a tribute to a, a great dog. So lots of things going on, like three-dimensional in my house. Yes. So I saw a lot of that, learned a lot about wood, what what kind of wood is good for this or that, or what's hard, what's soft. So I, I learned early on that, you know, different materials were good at different things and that you kind of had to be flexible in how you chose what you were going to make. So um, that kind of helped with product design later. But I really loved drawing. And, you know, I would go to kindergarten and look for the drawing homework, bring home drawings. <laughs> and and then later on, of course, I was um, all those posters we used to do in school before computers. Yes. 
had to make all these posters. I did a lot of posters. Um, I was the artist for the yearbook. Um, I've done a lot of community theater where, where I've done the backdrops, you know, <laughs> painted a lot of fake marble and stone walls and fake wallpaper and, you know, all just, you name it, I painted it. Um, I love that. But- I, I was, I'm right there with you. The posters, the flyers, the handouts, the parade banners, yes. oh, the yearbook did that too. Mm-hmm. And Sunday I have to go paint sets. <laughs> I relate to those things. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, well, I, I can do that. And I had, I, I was kind of entrepreneurial from a long time ago. I, I had this homemade card business that I had that wasn't really profitable, but I, I did quite a few cards, but a lot of them were people that worked for my dad. Um, and they would like, Oh, I forgot my wife's birthday. Can Beth make her a card about being sorry about missing a birthday, you know? And <laughs> so I would come up with cards about stories about being forgetful about birthdays, you know? And I don't know if anyone actually gave their cards to whomever. <laughs> They, awesome. but they paid me like five dollars for a card, which back then when I was little, that was like yeah. what? That's so, really um, cool. so I did a lot of that, and I also, um, I would make up um, collections when I was little, like um. I had a summer where I had a friend who liked to draw, and we spent the entire summer um, when it would be hot sitting on my bed. And we decided we were going to do family portraits from A to Z. And we made up families and we would figure out what their names were and then draw how many people were in their family. And they were all different, different uh, interests and colors and, you know, pets and whatever, but they were all different. And I, I don't even know what ever happened to that, but we had a ton of those. And then, you know, just the creative things that you did, like, oh, let's have a lemonade stand. No, even better. Let's make one that's on wheels. So we made a covered wagon out of our wagon and took that around and sold lemonade. You know, just things like that that you did because nothing was on TV, you know, in the middle of the day for kids. No. And there was no internet. So, um, and you just went out of the house with your bare feet and you did stuff, right? So Creatively entrepreneurial. uh, Yes, right. So we did a lot of that. And then when I got into college, um, I studied uh, graphic design and illustration. And then when I got out of school, there were not a lot of jobs. And so, and you know, when you're in school, um, pre-computers, yeah. uh, as an artist that wanted yeah. to be professional, there wasn't job fairs for people coming and going, we need an artist to come. You had to go and look for them and they it were It was the Macy's training program for a buyer or, you know, those kind mm-hmm. of things. That's who was at the job fair. Yes. Like when my brother graduated from college, he went to job fairs and they were like looking for engineers, you know, and he'd interview and he ended up getting a job from a job fair that was at school. And that was a really great, um, a great thing and opportunity, but that wasn't there for everyone. So um, I had my portfolio that everyone got ready and it just hit the pavement. And so I took the first job that came to me and it was with a corporation that, um, uh, designed and engineered large HVAC systems oh. for like schools and universities and airports. So it was a snoozer of a job. <laughs> um, and, and then from there I went, um, into so were you doing a company technical that, drawings for them? What, what did they, how did that work? Yeah, we did some tech drawings. Um, I did a lot of like capability brochures and okay. annual reports, you know, on yeah. um, newsletters, oh my lots gosh. of blister boxes for all the little widgets that we did. Um, <laughs> but we were, we did a lot of training for whatever. So we had a lot of training manuals. It was, if you look back on it, do you think, 
how did you survive? But you know what you did is you just said, I'm going to make yeah. this creative. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make it fun. Yep. And I tried to bring illustration in any time I could. Like, I think there needs to be a little man holding a sign here. <laughs> that's you know, whatever. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so from there, I went to a company that um, designed and manufactured business forms. Oh, so wow. another user <laughs> company. We did a lot of catalogs. So I was in charge. I was like assistant manager in the creative department. And we did a lot of photography of business mm-hmm. forms. So my job wow. made business forms look interesting and, um, and fun. And that was uh, always a struggle. Yeah. Um, but then I decided that it was, I, I really needed to find something that was more creative. And I was, we were starting to think about a family and I thought, well, I'm going to start my own business. And it's, it's then that I started, you know, going out and finding places to put and be more creative, you know? So at that time it was easy to find graphic design jobs like brochures and logos mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. So I did, I did work everywhere between, um, uh, uh, I did a, a, an ad for body bags. Oh, I gosh. did barbecue labels. Um, I did. So a lot you of were just kind of there. saying, I can do these things for you. What do you need? Yes. Someone okay. would come and they say, do you do this? And I would say, well, of course I do. Yeah. And that is how I learned my computer too, is I, I got a Mac yeah. and it was a, um, it was a Mac SE that had those little tiny screens yes. that were black and white. And, um, I had an engineering company that I was cold calling all the time and they, they said, do you have a computer? And I said, I guess I do, but I didn't know how to use it. I just had it. (laughs) Yes, I have one. (laughs) They had a huge illustrator project that was like taking a whole bunch of their 2d, um, uh, engineering drawings, bringing it into the computer. So basically it was just tracing things that they already had, but making it vector. Oh, sure. Sure. And they asked me if I could do it. And I said, um, yes, because I had Illustrator. So I was just like, of course. Right. And then I went and figured out how to do it. You know, it was, that's how I learned oh everything gosh. I know how to do is it was just put in front of me. And then you said yes on the phone. And then you got off the phone and you thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And you and couldn't you Google it. it. No, you couldn't Google it. So I had a friend that lived in Chicago that I took, um, uh, the train and then a taxi to go see and spent the day with her. And she showed me how to do a couple of the drawings. And then I went home and then I just cranked them Did out. It. But it was, it was a lot of drawings, but it taught me yeah. the basics of illustrators. That so was like the perfect job to begin, you know. So, wow. Um, I've been blessed with things like that. But so from there, um, I, I started, uh, just working, you know, whatever came my way. But I lucked into a company that is in uh, up in Gurney, Illinois, called Paris Presents. And they found me on Craigslist because my husband encouraged me to advertise there. And they needed someone to help them with product design for bath and bath and beauty products that they sold. Um, Can you, can you hear my dog in the background? No, I can't. Okay. That's good. Cause she's sleeping a toy. Okay. I can't hear. You're good. Good. Okay. So, um, I worked on bath and beauty products for them. They had the products already done, but they were putting it into like, um, uh, handbags and cosmetic bags and gift bags and anything that could be used to package it into a pretty product. And yeah. then they sold them to like Kohl's and pennies and, um, Walmart and target, and they went all over the place. So we were doing the actual product design that they would use for going to their clients 
to um, to show like they would go to Kohl's and they'd say, you know, here we have an entire collection about peacocks and we have 14 different um, products. They would look at it and say, we love it. We'll take 10 of your products. Right. And then they would come back to me and say, okay, now we need to get it ready to get produced. So then wow. I would help them get things ready for going to factory. So that was my first introduction into product design. And That's I a great it. one. So much. Yeah, it was so much fun. How cool um, to work with a company too that that is really kind of giving you you went from very technical stuff to creative leeway, sounds like mm-hmm. as well. Yes. She had seen something on my in my portfolio that was just some of my you know, my independent art and said, like like the way you use colors. I, I like some of the patterns you've done, you know, and so can you come and help us out? And so, yeah, we, we did a lot of repeat patterns, a lot of illustration, and then taking, you know, a couple ideas and then blowing it out into an entire collection. So I learned, I learned so much from them that it just was a blessing. And then the woman that I worked with there, she went on to a work for a lighting company. So I worked with a lot of lighting things like string lights that you'd use for parties, you know, that would have like dragonflies on them or little pictures oh, or, you know, cool. we, we did a lot of that and a lot of floor things you do for like those outdoor large um, holiday um, yard art yeah. that is made of the stuff that kind of looks like um, tinsel, you know, that's yes. got that bulk to it. So we did a lot of, I did a lot of that with um, dimensional. Like, Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I did a lot of the drawings. Like here's a snowman carrying a Christmas tree or here's Santa sitting on a tree stump and with Rudolph and they're roasting marshmallows, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. So oh my gosh. Lots of fun things like that. And then, um, and then I, my girls were in college and cash flow is king when college is happening. Yes. So I, I took a real job and I found a position working with a company that had, it was a small home decor company that did a lot of, they were just getting into working with um, plaques with sentiments and mm-hmm. more home decor pieces. So I was the manager, had about three, uh, about three illustrators that worked with and for me. And we um, did an entirely huge catalog and also all the products that were going into the catalog. And so we were just incredibly busy. And there I worked a lot with um, the factories um, yeah. and I I wasn't able to go overseas. That's like the one place mm. where I'm, I, I, I regret never being able to do that yet yeah. um, because that company, the the owner of the company and the VP did all the travel. They oh, did interesting. With them. interesting. So, um, so I worked there for several years and it was, um, it was uh, a hard company to, it was wonderful work and a difficult company. So I, yeah. I um, then went to work for uh, as a marketing specialist at a, a private college and just worked on doing uh, social media and brochures. And, and uh, I, I specialized in the um, music and the art departments there. So oh, cool. I was able to use a lot of creativity there. Also really helped with just figuring out how to speak to audiences and what they're looking for. And, you know, what is your call to action and who is your audience and how are you speaking to them? And what do they need? What is their pain point? You know, I think that helps a lot when you're, when you're developing product is to figure out, Oh my gosh. Why should you do something? Why are you making that? What, what purpose is that for? And how is it going to help them? You really do um, need to do those to, to know those things. And I think often, it's thought about as just being a fun, pretty thing to do, but mm-hmm. it, you have to combine it with those things. And and you really, 
your path is, I love it. Um, and, and you did, I mean, even doing things for when you were first freelancing and starting your own business, you were still knowing what they needed. You were still giving them what they needed. Mm-hmm. Then, then mm-hmm. you got to put your art and design into knowing what the customer needed. And that's just, I mean, when you, when you realize that and you get to that point, you, you're just that much more, your work is that much more applicable, I think. Yes. Cause I, the thing I always, I, I tell my students when, when um, we're working is you need to know who you're designing for. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're doing something for yourself personally, even if it's going to be a gift, you still want to say, what, what do they need? Why would they want this? Where will they put it? How will they use it? So knowing your audience is, so important. And, and then even when you're getting your work ready as a designer, knowing your audience, if that's your buyer is your audience. So what is their company and what kind of materials do they need and how should you prepare work for them to look at that's going to fit into the lane that they have chosen for, um, for their, for their products. So, um, just getting familiar and understanding that it, when it's your turn to get up to the plate, that you need to be able to help them get to where they need to go. And it is not about you, even though it is your artwork, you are making your art that needs to speak for whatever purpose that is. And that's what licensing and being a professional artist is all about. It's all coming from a really sensitive, and quite often insecure place, and yet mm-hmm. it needs to get out there and do something for someone else. So you have to have that translation from your heart into how is that going to interact with what is needed. Oh my gosh, that was just the best one minute right there. <laughs> that is, I think, what is not realized. I think what is taught is how to make it pretty. Um, mm-hmm. And... uh yeah, we could go on and on about this, but it, and what mm-hmm. needs to be reiterated over and over again is it is not really about you. And it, it depends. I mean, I think there's a couple different ways to, to be an artist in the market. There's, there's the licensing aspect of what do you need client? And there's mm-hmm. that, here's, here's my art. Do you want my art? So those are two, two different ways to look at it. And both, both, valid. But I think when you are going into the, how can I license for all these companies? What do they need? Then understanding exactly all those things, the how, the why, the where, um, Mm that you become then a partner with them and they call you back and they call you back and they call you back. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I just listened to your um, episode where you talked about your product development experiences and, and having an idea about, okay, what sorts of material might this go on and having a a feel for a price point, like that's too expensive. So, you know, we can't do that or we, we can't do that embroidery or you, you know, you pom-poms aren't going to work here, you know, so that if, if you're able to think outside to just the artwork, because that's where I, I love to like put my artwork on something and then say, you know, like, what if we put like seed pearls on here? What if there was embroidery? And what if there was a trim? Look, here's a fun trim. What do you think of this? And 
that part of the illustration is something that I had to do for Paris Presents is that when I was done, my art had to be not only on product, but make it look as realistic as possible because mm. they were showing this to people who weren't necessarily visual. Yeah. They were buyers that just needed to see what something would look like when it was done, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that was one of the reasons why uh, I, they used me for so long is they liked my illustrations because they looked uh, as realistic as we could possibly get them. And at that time, they would say, well, we we can't use that zipper pull. It's too expensive. We're going to need just a ribbon there instead of like a, yeah. a metal something or other, you know. Um, so being able to be flexible there is also something that it, it's sometimes hard to say, okay, I'll, I'll back it off. Or, I, yeah, it's going to be a little bit lesser than I was expecting. But that it is hard because okay. you get so attached to that that idea you've had, but then I don't know, that's kind of where the interesting challenge comes in because, okay, if I need to put a little ribbon there instead of that middle zipper pull, that would have really made it look excellent. Well, what does that going to look like? You know, it's just, it's never, it's never ending, but it's it's fascinating. And you're right. If you can show them what it's going to look like, people I've, I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. People buy what they see. So show Mm -hmm. them because, you know, it, so maybe you'll do the flat art, wrap it around that planter or whatever it's going to be, you know, that packaging, that whatever zipper pouch and you're, you're doing their job for them and, and you're yes. helping yes. sell your work. So I, I walk my students back and forth between like, okay, it's good to put your things on things so people can see it, that what it'll look like that will help them trigger other visual ideas. And yet, to know when you need to stop working on something and just get it out there because that perfection paralysis can also hold you back because you think, Oh, now I need to put it on, um, you know, 11 different products. So you can see what it looks like on material, on ceramics, on resin, on wood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a point where you're like, you'll never get anything done and in front of other people if you don't get going. And a lot of people are visual and will look at something and say, Oh my gosh, that'd be perfect for the mugs we have or the coasters that we're doing or whatever. Um, but that being said, anything you can do that is like extraordinary, like um, in one of the final modules in my Procreate class, I talk about going that extra mile because so many people don't do it. So if right. you can think of something that will take you just a little bit outside of where everybody else is clustered, then you'll stand out and hopefully someone will go, Oh, I remember, and it'll be something that you did in your presentation that just made you memorable, right? So exactly. It might be that product. It's, it's how do you take yourself out of the cluster? And I just love how you say that because there, there is, there's so much learning that we've done together with other people. We've met wonderful, you know, friends and peers through online classes or, or challenges or things like that we've done. But I think too, the thing that sets, I always like to encourage people to be themselves because that sets you apart. But Mm -hmm. that extra step, that extra thing that you're saying or showing or the example. Hey, I'm wondering if you've had a chance to hop on over to Tantau Studio and sign up for my email list. Every month I send a newsletter, something with a story and sometimes a little reminder about when to sell workshops. I never drag it on and promise it's interesting and there's only a couple but if you want to find out what's going on head on over to tantalstudio.com and sign up
when I get a submission, if I, if I can set it up, like if I know where it's going, I like to set it up so that I think I know who's going to see this. So I'm going to talk like, uh, I'm going to get this ready. So I'm like actually in the meeting with them. So I want to show them that um, I've done the artwork, but I've also done the background work to say, I am pretty sure that this is something that will sell. Let me show you some other things that are on product Mm. similar to this that look pretty catchy, don't you think? So having like that mood board that you pull together and then showing your artwork and then showing your artwork in um, some of those types of products that you found in the mood board that makes that transition from, yeah, those are really pretty. Ooh, I like your artwork. Oh my gosh, that does look good. And then hopefully it'll be enough for them to, to trigger that, or at least say, not yet, but let me hang on to this and I'll be in touch, you know? Yeah. Oh, I really think that's the best recipe. And I don't think nearly enough people do that. Show the product on that customer's product type or Mm -hmm. something, you know, they're looking for. It's yeah. It's kind of the magic sauce. So I interrupted your trajectory. So yeah. how, how did you get then into teaching? Okay. Well, you know, um, teaching was one of those things that in the back of my mind, I always thought someday that would be fun. Because when I was in college, some of my favorite instructors were people that just came from the office and we're now teaching us graphic design. So I went to Illinois State and State Farm uh, corporate headquarters was there. And so one of the instructors we had that came out to teach us a markers class, which they don't do anymore. Uh, um, They, he came out after he was done with work. So it was an evening class and it was one of my favorite classes because he ran the class like he was preparing preparing projects, you know? And so it felt like, oh, I am now doing what I want to do, which, you know, I feel like I'm actually close to being there, wherever there was. And it gave you that flavor of what could be or what was yet to come. So I always thought, you know, if I am an active artist, I'd love to be able to do that again Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe find a place that would want me to come in and just share some of what I do. And so um, it is sort of, as things do, it just kind of came about that I think it might have been my husband that said, hey, you know, the, the nearby college is looking for a, a digital illustration designer. Would you, maybe you should send your stuff in there. So there's lots of hoops you have to jump in order to do oh, that, wow. you know, yes. transcripts and like all kinds of things. So, but I thought, well, we'll go ahead and do that. We'll see what happens. And they, um, they gifted me with a, a class and I could be teaching more, but I, I still want to be doing my own art and my own interests. So I teach one class a semester and it's a upper level digital illustration class for Illustrator and Photoshop. And, um, I basically run it like they are working, um, projects for clients. Wow. And we so talk great. a lot about just like, who are you talking to? How are you discussing that? What are you, you know, just what is, what is the purpose? And don't just do something. Let's figure out why. So we, we start at the beginning with, um, you know, figuring out who their target audience is and, and then developing a mood board that is going to not only show us what their target audience is interested in, but then finding that product. So what are the products are out there that are attracting that audience so they can start making that crossover. 
I also make them look for other artists who are doing that same thing because it helps them see just um, just what is out there. And I, I always bring up the story like I, I ride a lot of bicycles. And um, but when you say to me, Beth, draw a bicycle from my head, the bicycle I draw I always have to stop and go, wait, how does that hook together? How does the pedal, ma- how are those chains working? And I have to go find some bicycle pictures in order to figure out how to draw that bicycle, right? And so the same thing happens when you're doing, when, when you're gifted a project to do, to figure out like how to draw that project. And then what is already out there that is successful? And then you're not copying it, but you're getting that inspiration right. to see um, what colors are they using? What is that perspective that you find interesting? And then collect the things that stand out to you to make your unique art. And that it, it's just going to make you a better artist the more research that you do on that back end before you put any pencil to paper or um, Apple pencil to iPad, right? right. So, yeah, so I, I do a lot of uh, just who is that audience and who are you creating for? And, and we run the entire semester like that. And our last project is um, so fun. It's an animation project and I give them a client. They have this client called Pie Section Bakery and um, that I made up and they, they have, it's, it's holiday time. They have four pies that they need to sell and it is their job to come in with a pitch for video. And so at that time, we kind of back up a little bit and give them a little leeway to like, who are you pitching to? Like, what is your target audience for pie lovers more than just people who like pie? Is it like families who need pie? Someone who burnt the pie and they need a pie? Or is it someone who doesn't cook and needs a pie? And so that's the person you're going to be setting this up for. And then, you know, we talk about um, storyboards and, um, and then we do a client pitch. And, and then at the very end, you know, we, we learn about how to do the animation as well. Cause this is quite often the first um, entry into animation for a lot of the students. So it's, um, it's a it's a really um, intense last project for them to do because there's so much drawing in an animation, um, but they really like it. Oh yeah! And I think part of that is because they are talking to a possible client, you know. And one of the students was so sweet. She's like, "When do we get to meet the bakery people?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, honey, <laughs> they don't exist. <laughs> you are the bakery people." <laughs> That's so it great, though. Me. <laughs> yes, here I am. Where's your pie? When do I get to eat the pie? Yeah, make pie. Bring <laughs> but pie. the the cool thing is too that you're walking them through branding and the, just so much more than draw something pretty, and that is real world. It really is. Yeah. One of our other products or projects that we do is an entire product design collection. Mm. I have them start with, again, picking a trend. We talk about trends and collections. You know, are you going to do a seasonal thing or are you going to choose a, a subject matter? And then choosing that, then figuring out, okay, of the target audience you're working with, what are the palette colors that are popular? And then they have to do all the motifs. So we talk about making an illustration library. Let's yeah. make a couple heroes and then some complementary 
literary sidekick pieces. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we are bringing that into, um, I show them different ways you can introduce your artwork into product. And we talk about ready-made products that you can, the the ready-made PSD files where you just drop in your artwork and the layers already there. And so it looks like your pieces on there, how to do um, a product mock-up with a a royalty-free photo. So you're making your own Mm ready-made photo and then how to design a custom product from scratch and that product they have to design. It has to be something completely new, has some sort of gizmo gadget to it that makes it unusual and unique and then bring their artwork onto that. And so they have it from the very beginning to the very end, and then they do a client pitch with their products um, so that the whole time they're still thinking, who am I talking to? Who am I designing for? You know? Yeah. And thinking substrates, you know, the materials they're using, how to make that, you know, in the research you're doing, having them look at, build their own trend board and look at other things out there. Mm -hmm. And I, I do this too, because I, I do um, get to teach uh, how to design for product development. So I love that you're doing that because it's that thing you said about how do you make it unique? You know, how do you take it and not just decal it on, but maybe you carve this part in or, you know, the handle's mm-hmm. a different shape or, oh my gosh, so many, so many yeah. things. And yeah. I think that comes from years of doing that, years of testing things out. And what did that customer want? And what made it, what made them say yes to that? And what made the price better? Yeah. And what, what made it sell, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talk, you know, like, okay, if you're, if you're, target audience is college students their 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 um their price point that they can buy is going to be small so you know don't be bringing in like heavy metals or 14 karat gold you need to think about what can they afford and then make a product that they can afford but then if you're doing something for that's a little bit more luxurious then have some fun with those textures, bring in some leather, bring in some in, like teak wood or, you know, find something yeah. that is going to be that they, that can show that quality and, um, and, and give that target audience interest for whatever product you're designing. So, you know, that's part of making it successful or not is how you're putting it together, you know? So um, it's so much fun to watch the students take the same prompt. Everyone gets the same prompt. Mm. And then when we're done, uh, my classes are range around 15, mm. you know, the, the ideas that come in, no one is the same, you know, it's just that. amazing. Even if two people say, you know, I'm going to do Halloween, you know, if you've got one that's doing apothecary Halloween, that's really scary with lots of, um, you know, skeletons. And then someone else is doing Halloween for children and it's completely different. So I, it's just exciting to see, um, you know, 15 different talented artists just go all across the board. And, and quite often it's the students that I think mm, their drawing skills aren't that tight that right. really surprised me wow. when they were start working, you know? I love that so much. Yeah. You know, you mentioned in your bio that you're passionate about sharing with students your thoughts on being a healthy artist and being confident and brave about their skills. And I would imagine a class like this helps that, but what are, how do you, how do you help them realize how important that is and, and get through things like comparison and, oh, I'm not good enough. And, oh, will anybody ever buy this? How do, how do you help them with that part? Yeah. Um, working uh, with my college students, it's, it's very, very, because that, that age range can go anywhere between like just out of high school up to, um, you know, in their 
like my age, you know, there, everyone is there. And then the online students are the same, the same way. I'm, I get um, quite a few more, um, more mature students, mature, uh, older, that, whatever. Um, and been, been doing but, it a while. Yes. Yes. But everyone has those, um, those limiting beliefs about who they are and what they're capable of doing. And also um, just the confidence and what they're able to create and, and also just showing their artwork. It's hard. And I, and I'm not saying that because I teach it, it's because I overcame it. No, it's because I do this every day that I can, I can talk about it openly and go, this is a problem. It's hard. And it, it, uh, it gets more understandable, but it doesn't necessarily make it go away, but it makes you know, um, some, some avenues to explore to, to like just ratchet up your confidence and, and you can see it when it's happening, right? So, um, wherever you are personally with your confidence is as far as you can take your artwork. So yes. if, if you feel like you, um, shouldn't show your artwork to anyone, then, um, you need you need to look at your confidence level and practice at showing your art to your family members, to your neighbors, to just acquaintances, so that you can get better at showing your artwork. And you, um, uh, how you believe in yourself is really just how your artwork is going to perform too. So you really want to spend that time to. Uh, get your confidence going as much as you are in learning how to make great art. So um, you want to spend time with yourself and trusting in your talent. And there's a reason why you are, you know, taking my class, why you're in college taking um, art classes or why, why you even have that passion for art and and as you know, Margot, there is all kinds of art that's loved by everyone. And that can be something that, you know, looks completely realistic and insanely um incredible. And it can also be something that is is just simple squares and blocks and that are created to make a dog. And and um and people go, Well, I could do that, but you didn't. You know, <laughs> someone else did it and it's cute and you love it. But you didn't think of it. Someone else did. So the range of art is is there. And that's what I see in my students, that some of the people that think I can't draw, I hear that so much. They're the ones that rock out with the projects. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of it is they're they're looking to see where their strengths are and then they play to that lane. And um, and then when they find where their strength is, then they learn how to polish that up. So um I think if I don't know, did I, did I stray off your question? No, I mean, it just got, the answer got better and better. I just think <laughs> there's such quotable things there. I think you're right. I mean, it's not always easy to feel confident about something, but to remember that it's directly related to how well we're going to do. If you can't talk about it, n- no one's going to know you're doing it. If you mm-hmm. don't feel like you're there yet, You'll never be there. So it's just putting it out there. It's trying. It's getting feedback. It's changing things if that's what the feedback says or, or, you know, talking to peers. It's whatever those things are, but, but it's true. I mean, you just have to try it. It's, it's interesting to me. Often I'll go look on somebody's, um, 
Instagram. And I don't, certainly there's a lot of us that we look on the Instagram and I can see people's art, but there's several people who are very creative that don't show much. And I just Mm. think, huh, I wish you would, you know, (laughs) I know it's in there. I know it's really good. So I think you're right about this. So here is, here's what my opinion about Instagram is that it is a really great place to be brave and show your work. And then you're actually not seeing anyone judge it or you're not getting any rejections, but you are having your work seen. And that is a really great place to go. Now, if you're overwhelmed by social media, then limit how much time you spend looking at everyone else's work because yes. that's where you can start um, limiting your beliefs of right. your your talent because you're looking like, oh, she's so much better. She did that. She did these things or he did that or he did these things. Um, so, but it shouldn't mean that you should not have an Instagram account that's showing what you're working on because it, it, is, a, it is a really great way to get brave. Mm-hmm. And um, I was speaking to a student today about – Showing your work is like, um, like, so you're on vacation and you are, you go to this cliff where you know you can jump off and land in the lake, right? And you're terrified about jumping off the cliff. Now, personally, I would never do this because I have a heights thing, but let's say I could. And so you want to just, you know, that you can't get into the lake and have that feeling of accomplishment unless you jump right? Mm-hmm. So if you stay up on the cliff and just prepare for jumping, you'll never <laughs> oh. have the joy of knowing what it feels like to land in the lake. Oh. So you have to be brave and jump. And and you're not always going to land perfect. You know, sometimes it's going to be pretty stingy because you're going to land funny. And um, that'll be a good story to tell. You have a lot of failures, have a lot of flaps, but it doesn't mean you can't get out and climb back up to the cliff and get, jump again. And the second time you jump, it's not going to be as scary. And so, it's exhilarating. Um, it, I love that you compared it to that. I have never thought of it that way. But imagine standing there. And not only that, but you're usually not by yourself. There's friends down there cheering you on. Come on, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that feeling of like, look what I did. I was... A couple of weeks ago, um, I was with my son up at a lake nearby and we were watching people jump off of a fairly, fairly high, good 30 feet. And um, very safe. I mean, well, it, they weren't, they were jumping in a place that looked fairly safe, but there was this one guy that he climbed halfway up and so many people were like, come on, encouraging him. And he was having this whole discourse. He was discussing with somebody what he should be doing, if he should be jumping. And he, and he stopped and he thought about it and he stopped and he was going to, and he was only halfway. He didn't even go all the way up. And then he came back down and I was like, oh, I thought, I remember thinking to myself, wonder what he's, wonder what kind of, you know, what kind of risks he takes in life, but that is the best. And I can, if any of you have ever done that, jumped off, I have, I remember exactly where I was, Lake George, and it felt so good. But if you can relate that to putting yourself out there creatively, that is so a hundred percent right. The first time it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You're flying through the air and you're like, I did it. You land a certain way and you, you think you've, Probably the first thing is, I want to do that again. Yes. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah. And you, like you said, you learn it is so similar to trying. 
and being brave and putting yourself out there. And if you don't, you, you won't, you might, it's, it's okay. You might never know what you didn't miss, but if you don't, you might really miss something that wasn't that really hard. Well, and, and when you know that, like with your artwork that you're not going to, one of the things we talked about in um, with my, my class today was the reward of the results, right? Mm. And if you want the reward, you have to take the leap. That's true. Otherwise it's not going to happen. So, um, but that I have um, a, a creative process that I think I mentioned to you. You did. That, so um, I want to talk about that and the fact that you're now teaching online and you're teaching yes. the specific things. So those two things kind of link together, right? They do. They do. They link together. So I started Procreate um, uh, in 2018. I I bought an Apple iPad. And when I was at the Apple store, um, the guy asked me, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an, I'm an illustrator, product designer, graphic designer. And he goes, oh, you should you should get this app called Procreate. And I hadn't heard of it then in 2018. Or if I had, I hadn't really let it register yet. Right. And um, so he said, yeah, it's $9.99. And I was, you know, at that time, you're like, $999? Yeah, you, exactly. Because I'm in the Apple store. Idea, right? Yeah. And um, he was like, no, it's $9.99. And it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty powerful. So I went home and I downloaded it and started playing around with it. And um, once I got up to speed on it and realized that it was it was really powerful, it it has the, it has the, the potential of doing things that you would be doing in Photoshop and or Illustrator. And what I found was that those things that I was doing outside of my computer, um, I was able to now do digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked like I did it inside my computer. And there were things that I had, I had been working on digitally, like with the Wacom tablet. But now I wasn't drawing on my Wacom tablet, looking at my computer screen. I was right. looking at my hand drawing yeah. and it was happening real time. And the pressure sensitivity of the Apple Pencil, all of that just <laughs> blew my mind. Yes. And so I very quickly started drawing all my stuff and almost all of it in um, Procreate. What I found, and I, I tell my students this all the time, that there's this like this brain thing that happens. And one of the last things my brain allowed me to do is start to sketch mm. in Procreate. It, it, it held out a long time of like, you can do anything, but you can't sketch in there. So I had, um, I have uh, just like piles and piles and, and uh, sketch pads and sketch pads of tracing paper where I had been doing all of that work. I would get my final artwork done as far as a pencil sketch then I would shoot a picture of it and I would bring it into Procreate right. and that would be my baseline. And then one day I was somewhere and I wasn't near my, my tracing paper and I, I just started working and thought, I, oh, it's so far away, I can't get it. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm drawing in Procreate. <laughs> and I think it was just a matter of, of that cerebral time that sometimes it takes to have those synapses start working. And well, it's so foreign, you know, and, and there, and you were holding on to that. Well, it's a pencil and a piece of paper and I, your brain kind of probably wanted to keep you doing that. And then mm-hmm. you realized, oh, I could do that here too. 
I think the the thing that a lot of us have problems with when they start working in Procreate is that sensory part of Mm -hmm. um, making art, right? So like with me, it was that feeling of the drag um, of um, graphite on my tracing paper. Mm -hmm. And now you can bring in um, uh, protectors that are like, they feel like paper. Have you tried that? I was going to ask you now. I actually haven't because I, I, I'm back and forth with it. I know a lot of people that love it, but I also know that they, because they have the drag, they do wear down your pencil, your, um, the oh. tips of your, of your Apple pencil. So you, you can replace the tips, but I, I haven't had to replace very many tips because I just draw right on my glass. So if you're, if that's something that is keeping you from feeling comfortable, then I recommend that you give that paper like a try, or there's a lot of different kinds of um, manufacturers that make this. So you can find something that fits your price range and, and fits what you think is going to work best for you, but you don't need it. Um, I, I, I don't use it. And it, and it was because I finally somewhere in my brain, it said, Oh, so it looks like a pencil, but we're gliding on smooth glass. And that's, that's okay. I, I'm, yeah. I'm good with it now. So now I can work on paper or on the iPad. It, it doesn't matter. So it's, it, it is a transition. It is a learning curve, but just practice, practice, practice. And it, it does happen. And so allow yourself to have those incremental movements forward and don't just think, well, I can't draw on there. So I, Therefore, I can't because there's a lot of ways you can you can work around that so that you can start off, you know, with things you're bringing in and then building from that to bring in your color or outlines or whatever. And then eventually, I think you'll see that your brain is like, no, we're fine. We yeah. can do this. Well, yeah. it's it's like anything that's new that hasn't been there before. Like, you know, I'm sure at one point it's like, I'm going to ride my horse because I don't want to drive that newfangled thing with four wheels that go around. Well, I want to use paper and not, or a credit, you know, any number of things. So it's yes. just retraining yeah. our like, yes, it's going to be around. Mm-hmm. So why don't I just try just it? It could actually it. help my process or I could learn mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. So, so you took um, a lot so- of time to put together this gorgeous course. I did. I I started, I decided last fall, I think I mentioned it at a a relish um, get together that I, I decided that I thought this was something maybe I should share. And I knew like at my college, we don't teach procreate. It's just not a class that's prepared for a course yet. Hmm. And there are lots of tutorials out there, but there didn't seem to be a lot of classes that would start you from Welcome to your iPad and here is Procreate. Let's, let's set up some preferences and here's where all the tools are and these are what these icons mean. And all the way through to let's draw mandalas using rotational symmetry, you know, um, and also I touch on, uh, how to move your crafts to cash. I mean, we talk about marketing. Awesome. We talk about talking to your audience and how once you get all this beautiful artwork in your iPad, how do you get it out of your iPad and into the world? We discuss how to do that and then who to send it to and how to go about doing that. We touch on that. Fantastic. And then we also have an entire module where um, we step away from everything digital just to, mm. I say, let's look inward so that we can work outward. Because I do believe that if you don't take care of yourself, that it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're not going to be able to create anything. You, you can't create when you don't have anything to give towards it. So, so we talk about just the creative, it's a creative process, but it's more like phases and you need to realize which phase 
you need to be in at the moment to help you get where you need to go for your final goals. As I mentioned, this is a two-part interview, so please do be sure to tune in next week and listen to the rest of the wonderful things that Beth shares with us. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.